Morning. <laughs> I feel like every time I come up here, I'm always like, morning. <laughs> yeah. uh, so good to, you guys are here with us. Uh, we're super excited to start a new series. Uh, actually, today is more of like, it's almost like a preview to the new series, but we're still in the series. Uh, the original intent was Sam was going to be up here preaching in First Peter, working on like maybe one verse, I don't know, like <laughs> just unpacking the whole thing. And uh, they got sick. So unfortunately, they're at home. They're watching from home. So if you guys could just pray for them, maybe send them a text, say, hey, thinking of you, praying for you. Uh, and so just lift them up in, in your prayers for them. Uh, so today, what we're going to do is in an effort to build kind of a framework before we get into First Peter next week, we're going to kind of give like a theological backdrop to like the main theme of First and Second Peter to kind of get our, get our hearts ready for a lot of the things that we're going to encounter in the letters. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to do it by talking about suffering. The main theme of First and Second Peter is victory and trials. This idea that in trials, in suffering, God uses it for good somehow, some way, for his glory. And so we're going to unpack this idea. And I just want to say before we get into it, this is a super sensitive topic, right? This suffering is not easy, and it's something we don't really like to talk about, but it's very real. And, uh, you know, many of you have probably gone through a lot of things, a lot of forms of suffering. A lot of different things have maybe happened in your life, or maybe even right now you're going through some real suffering or questions with God, and you're wondering, how does this, how is this compatible with what I'm reading about God as a loving and good and gracious God? Maybe you're looking at the news and looking at the world, and you're like, I don't understand how this is compatible, and I don't know how to reconcile this. And so this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul and what he has to say about this idea of suffering, how we are to view it in light of God's goodness and his love. And so before we dive in, let's pray, because we need the Lord in order to understand this. <clears throat> Lord, thank you just for your word, God. Thank you that you have provided for us everything that we need in life, for godliness. Um, and so as we approach this topic of suffering and victory in that and how you use this very real and very sensitive topic, God, would you just give us wisdom? Would you help our ears to be attentive to your voice, help us to hear, help us to understand your word, help us to um, hear what you have to say over, maybe even over what our feelings are telling us. And so we pray, Jesus, for your voice. We pray for your um, love to shower us as we work through a very difficult topic. And um, we just give you this time. Would you clear out all the distractions and give us grace, God? So we ask all this in your mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be reading in the book of Romans, chapter 5, 
I'm only going to read five verses. Nothing crazy. These are deep, deep verses. But before we get into it, as you're turning, just want to give a, a quick context because the, the first verse starts off with, therefore. And someone told me one time, and I hear it all the time, that when you see in Scripture a therefore, you ask, what is it there for? Right? It's not just there. You know, Paul didn't just write it there just for nothing. He's building upon something. And so in chapter 4 of Romans, Paul is giving this very comprehensive case that righteousness and justice, like justification, comes only through faith. And he's setting it up by talking about Abraham and how even before the law was given to the Israelites, Abraham was cr credited righteousness solely on the basis of believing God. And so he's building this case and he's saying, listen, like the law was given for their trespasses to act as a mirror to show us our sin, but it is only through faith that you are justified, that you are made right before God. And then he comes in and says, therefore, and we're going to read it. Chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Pause. Right? So he starts off, he's like, okay, we understand now justification comes through faith and faith alone, and because of that, we have peace with God. Our sin is no longer hindering our relationship with God anymore. Jesus has taken it. He's died for it. And he rose over it. Now we are made right with God. And because of that, the benefit of having peace with God is now we can rejoice in the glory of the hope of God. Like, and this, this isn't hard as a Christian. Like, if you know where you've come from, you know the dumb things you did, maybe the mistakes you made, and what God has actually delivered you from, it's not hard to be thankful for the grace that God gives you, right? Because it's, you didn't deserve it. Like, you didn't do anything to earn it. God gives you this as a free gift. And so it's almost like a natural response as a Christian. Like, God, like, I want to give you my whole life. Like, you deserve it. You deserve the glory. It's the next thing that Paul says that confuses us. Of course, I'll rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and all that, the benefits of justification. The next thing he says Right? Access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 3, he says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Some translations may say tribulations. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. This part is where we're like, I don't understand. What do you mean I can rejoice in my suffering? Like, I don't understand, God. I can't be happy 
in this situation? How can you expect me to rejoice in a situation that is deeply hurtful to me? How, how, I don't understand that. I can't reconcile that. And it's because this is hard for us to understand and even wrap our minds around something like this, this, this scripture, it's, um, it has caused us to, throughout history, Christians throughout history, to kind of go to one of two extremes in how to deal with suffering. Um, and this is how sometimes it has happened. On the one hand, we have, and you probably have heard of it, prosperity gospel, which in that case, how we deal with suffering, well, God doesn't want you to go through suffering as a believer. That's not his plan for you. And so you just pray more, you just have more faith, and the breakthrough will come, and then the healing will come, and then this will come, and you just do this more. God wants you to be healthy all the time and wealthy all the time. That's a distorted view of how to deal with suffering. And we hear that all the time. That is destroying the faith of many Christians because someone is telling you, oh, as a believer, you shouldn't be suffering. But, but this is true in my life right now. You're, I am experiencing suffering. Oh, then just pray more. Oh, then just read more, then just do this more, and then, then you'll just make it out, and then, God, everything will be okay, and then you'll just wake up, and everything's clicked, and, and everything's fine. And it doesn't work that way. And so then it's discouraging, and we walk away, and, and we're bitter towards God. So that's one extreme. The other extreme, we don't really see too often, but it was very prominent in the early church. It's called asceticism. If you're not familiar with asceticism, um, it is, I have a quote here from, from an ascetic. Uh, he says, purifying the body helps to purify the soul, thus obtain a greater connection with God or inner peace. This may take the form of rituals, renunciation of pleasure, or self-mortification. In other words, keep more suffering on yourself because that will keep you holy. So this extreme elevates suffering to the point of like, this is the only way that you should live as a believer or as a religious person. The only way. If you are enjoying movies or if you're enjoying a good book or if you're enjoying things that give you pleasure in any type of way, even in the things that God has created, no, no, no. Nope. You can't. <laughs> can't do it. And that elevates suffering. So you have one extreme that tries to eliminate it the other that tries to elevate it. And what Paul is doing, he's saying, no, 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 this, this is the correct way to see how suffering works and how God uses it in the life of the believer. And so we're, gonna, we're literally going to unpack this one verse, okay? So I hope you're excited. All right. So we got one verse to unpack, and we're going to start with this because it's kind of like a chain, right? Endurance, character, hope. We're going to unpack each part. We're going to start with endurance. Suffering produces endurance. That's one of the ways God uses our sufferings. In some of your translations, it might say perseverance, right? To persevere through the suffering. The Apostle James, another, uh, it's actually Jesus' brother, 
who wrote the letter of the book of James. And uh, this is how he says it in verse 2 of chapter 1. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. First of all, he says, when, not if, when you meet trials of various, not one, but multiple, right? Various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance or perseverance. This is what the suffering is producing. It's producing an endurance in you. Jesus, in chapter 21 of Luke, verse 19, he's talking with his disciples. Right? He just got talked about like all the end of the world stuff, like this is gonna happen, da da da, the stuff we love to think about and you know when the world is in fire, right? So Jesus is giving telling his disciples, listen, they're gonna bring you before kings and they're gonna bring you before governors. They're gonna put you in jail. And some of you are gonna be martyred for me. And he says this really interesting phrase at the very end after telling them you're gonna suffer. He says, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. That's interesting, right? That's, I'm like, I didn't know Jesus. He said that, when did you say that? I'm just finding it right now. Right? By your endurance, you will gain your life. This is important, right? And I'm trying to, like, because I think Christian culture has made it really, like, oh, just raise your hand if you trust in Jesus, and then boom, everything's good. Jesus says, if you don't have endurance, like, you won't gain your life, basically. Eternal life is gained through endurance in faith. One commentator on this says this. He defines endurance as the ability to remain under trial and not give up. The ability to stay in a trial and not give up. So I want you to picture this with me. I know you just picture this. Like, there's a mountain, right? Think of Mount Fuji, think of, uh, I don't know, any big, crazy, huge mountain that you would probably never climb, but you're climbing it right now, right? You're on the mountain, all of us are on it together. And we're climbing this really big mountain, and we're looking up, and it is an insanely long journey. Like, we got a lot more way to go, and you're starting to feel like, Okay, my hands are tired. My arms are starting to feel like give way. Like, I'm going to fall. And so what you do is you're like, you know what? If I rush up the mountain, I'll be able to like get past this, this part where it really, really hurts. I just zoom up the mountain and we'll be good. Like, I won't have to stay in the pain. I'll be able to rest. So you try that and you're clawing your way, you're like doing your thing, you're going really fast and you soon find out that you didn't need speed, you needed endurance. You needed the ability to remain on the mountain and in the struggle and still be constant and consistent. And this is sometimes, I use this analogy as a picture of our Christian life. Right? Sometimes in our Christian life, when things get really, really hard, we try to rush. We're like, okay, 
if I just read more, if I just go to five more Bible studies, if I just do this, if I just, you know, am, am just continually trying to rush through this, I'll make it out of the suffering. I can just rush out of the suffering, and then there's my deliverance and my healing and my holiness, right? I have, I've thought this way in my walk with Jesus. Like, God, I want to expedite my holiness. Can you just make me holy? Why is this a thing? Why can't you just, like, make me holy, right? And what we do is we bypass what God is trying to do in us. He's like, I want to make you holy, but the only way you're going to be made holy is if you learn to be faithful to me, even when you don't want to. Even when it's challenging to stay in this thing. I need to build that in you. Why? Because suffering is going to come. There's going to be another mountain. There's going to be another thing that is going to happen in a broken world. And what you need is not how to speed on through these things or bury the struggle of it. You need to learn how to endure. And so God will use it to help us endure. Now, I want to kind of like, it's not a sidebar, it's not a side, it's just a side note. Because I read an article today, or not today, it feels like today because it's still in my mind, but I read an article this week, and it was heartbreaking, man. I think as the church, we have, we, lit, we have, I'm not going to say sometimes we think we have or whatever, we have, not you guys, like Big C Church, have abused this teaching of endurance through suffering. So the article I was reading was a church and pastor, I'm not going to say who or where it is, someone in the church comes to the pastors and the elders and is like, my spouse is abusing me and my children. And I broke, I almost, I was just like, I just about broke my computer screen. It's already broken, but I'm like, I want to break it more. Because what they said was like, they looked at this person in their face and was like, God wants you to stay in that because it'll build endurance. That's not true. That's not right. That's not what God has called us to. Like, the suffering you may be called to, and the suffering that Paul is talking about here, is not a suffering that will enable someone else's sin. It's not a suffering that will enable someone else's abuse or someone else's whatever it is. Or it might, and it won't enable sin in you either. Like in us either. We can't go around sinning and be like, oh, I'm suffering for the Lord. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's me putting suffering on me. And this, like, people say this in church to people who are hurting. And it gets me angry. It gets me mad. Because it's like, this is what Paul is saying. Paul, God does not want you to, to remain in a situation that is detrimental to your faith. Like the endurance that he's building is going to build and grow your faith, not destroy it. And being in a situation like that will draw you away from Jesus. The point is that your endurance is leading somewhere. It's going somewhere. God is doing something with the endurance. The purpose of the endurance is to get somewhere. The purpose of the endurance on the mountain is to get to the top. 
not to stay there and just kind of shift and move on the same spot, right? And so we have to keep that in mind. Is the suffering that I'm experiencing, is it enabling sin in me? Or is it enabling sin in another person? Or is it the kind of endurance that's pushing me closer and closer to Jesus, even though it's really, really hard? And so this actually leads us into the next link of the chain, which endurance produces character. Character. Character is defined as the mental and moral qualities of an individual, right? So your behavior happens out of your character. Your character is the revolving thing that makes all of the other stuff happen, like the way you think, the way you act, the way all of that stuff is from your character. And endurance is trying to produce, God is trying to use endurance to produce a specific kind of character in us. Any guess? What is it? In Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, verse 29, speaking of believers, he says, for those whom he foreknew he predestined to be, here it is, conformed to the image of his son. Conformed to the image of his son. That is the character that God is trying to get you to be molded to to be me to be molded to. That's the character he wants in us. First John says it another way in chapter two, verse six, he says, whoever says that they abide in him, Jesus, must walk as Jesus walked. That's a tough statement. Do I walk as Jesus walked? Right? This is what God wants us to be molded into, to be molded into the image of Jesus, not to rob you of your personality or you know, all the other things that he's given you, but the righteousness that Jesus has given to you, he wants your character to line up with that, right? I want you to be righteous in your thinking. I want you to be righteous in the way that you live your life, in your responses to things, right? We could be Christian people and have really bad responses. I do all the time, right? I get angry at my computer by reading an article and I wanna punch it, right? That's probably not the best response because then I break my computer and then it's a whole ordeal. But the point is that God is trying to mold your character. And this is the reality. The goal of the Christian life isn't to be the healthiest, happiest person that you could possibly be. As much as we like to think that. Like, and that's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> Be joyful, be happy, praise God for health. But that's not the point, that's not the goal, that's not the centerpiece of the Christian life. The centerpiece of the Christian life is Jesus. And it's to be molded into his image, which will ultimately give us joy and ultimately give us health when we're made new and all suffering has been released and Jesus makes everything new. But now when we're in here in the brokenness, God is using everything that happens to us to mold us to this end. I want you to look like my son. I want you to act like my son because the world needs that. They need a tangible look at my son. Unchallenged character leads to unchanged character. And that's just what it is. If I'm not willing to have my character challenged, 
I'll never change. I'll never change. Because what will happen? I will think that I'm all good. I don't need to change. I'm doing everything right. There's no need to endure. I could just kind of coast my way through this thing. And that's probably one of the worst places that you could possibly be as a Christian is to coast. The Bible also says it like idleness, to be idle in your faith. Right? So God doesn't want that. He uses endurance to build in us character that will continually be challenged. All these parts of us will be continually be challenged to, to be made like Jesus. Or we would be made to be faithful people, made to be people of peace, made to be people who are, uh, stand for righteousness in our own lives and in our marriages and in our workplaces and in the world, we will stand for the things that Jesus would stand for. And that's what he's molding in us. So we got suffering produces endurance, which then produces the character of Christ. And the last link of the chain is perfection. No, it's not, right? We wish, <laughs> like, yes, I get that, I'm perfect, and I don't have to do it again. No, I think it's actually intentional that it's not perfection. It's hope. Character produces hope. And I think in suffering, when we're going through this time of suffering, one of the things that we feel most is hopelessness. Hopelessness. We say things like, where's the hope in this? And what we mean sometimes is, God, when are you going to get me out of this thing? When are you going to just pick me up and put me in a spot where I'm not dealing with this anymore? Right? When the hope that Paul is talking about isn't necessarily that. Sometimes it is. I'm not going to say God won't take you out of a situation and put you in a new one. He does. He does do that. But sometimes he doesn't. The church in Ukraine, I read a about a pastor who said, God has called me to stay. Why would you want to stay in a war? Because there's people that need Jesus. There's Russians that need Jesus. There's people that need Jesus, and that's his calling as a pastor. They need to know. My people are not going to be leaving, so I'm not going to leave them. And so he chose to stay, and sometimes we're called to stay. The hope here is a deep confidence in God that can only be produced over time. We can't be confident in God right at the gate. We don't know him yet. We haven't seen his faithfulness yet. But during this process of using sufferings that come into your life to produce endurance that will build your character into the image of Christ, it will produce a hope, a deep confidence that God really will do what he says that he will do. He really will be faithful to me. He will be faithful to his word. That's the hope that God is producing in suffering. Look at what Paul says. He says, hope does not put us to shame. To shame. Have you ever had confidence in something that didn't work out. 
and I felt, I just remember this one time, I just was confident in something and I was like, that was dumb, that didn't work. <laughs> I was like, I feel dumb, right? It put me to shame. What Paul is saying here, this hope is not gonna put you to shame. God will do exactly what he says that he will do. So it's not gonna put you to shame. You can be confident in this. God has proven himself in this process. The hope that's produced isn't wishful thinking, right? It's not like maybe God, maybe one day, maybe, it's not that. It's God will do what he says that he will do. It's a deep confidence. And this is so important for us in suffering. Hope is so important for us in suffering. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. And I mean, like, listen to this. This is beautiful. He says in verse 19 of chapter 6, he says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. He says that hope is an anchor. That's how he identifies uh, hope. Hope is an anchor. When do you need an anchor? (laughs) When you need to like plant yourself, right? You need to stay where you're at. Usually, we don't do that if the waters are like chilling, right? We can kind of let our boat like, But when the water is intense, or there's waves that might drift you away, we place an anchor, right? This hope that is being produced in suffering, it is the thing that's going to secure you and keep you in the faith when the next suffering comes, when the next trial and tribulation comes. This is why it doesn't say perfection, because God knows that you're in a broken world with sinful people who are all desperate in need of grace. And so you're probably going to encounter another trial after this. And what's going to secure you in me is a hope that has been produced through having been through this before and having seen God get you through it before. That is what secures us in that. This continuous chain of endurance, character, hope is the pattern in which God has chosen to make us holy. It is. As hard as that is. And it's the only way we are to correctly view our suffering in light of God. Right? So I I want to share something with you guys. And because this passage is very dear to me. It really is. Um, and, and I'm going to share this, not, I just want you to hear my heart when I share this. I'm not um, trying to give a standard of how to deal with suffering or whatever the case. It's just a way that God used to speak to me when we were working through First Peter. You know, we're, we've got the reading plans. I was reading First Peter, and I finished First Peter and I'm just thinking about my life and my life with my wife. Uh, I'm sorry. Last year, my wife gets a call 
and her sister, sister-in-law, lost her battle with addiction. Three little kids that have been here and have loved this church. She was a wonderful mom. And that was on the cusp of 2020, my wife working a COVID unit 70 hours a week, and me losing my job and wanting to quit, man. I'm like, I don't want to be a pastor anymore. I don't want to walk this out anymore, God. I want to give up. And that was on the cusp of dealing with a lot of struggles and navigating a bunch of things hardships in the beginning of our marriage that were caused as a result of my addiction to pornography and me walking in there and lying to my wife and and all this stuff putting her through all this stuff and I'm I work through first Peter and we're just on the couch having a conversation and God is just giving me this picture of a woman who has clung to Jesus do the worst. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not putting her on a pedestal up of, you know, this is the way to do suffering. We struggle. But for me, this is how God was showing me, listen, the stuff you're reading in 1 Peter, you got a picture of it in your life, up close and personal. You see this. Things like entrusting your soul to a perfect creator. That fire is refined and your faith is tested and made more precious than gold. And I've seen that in my wife. And God used that moment to show me, like, God really does do this. This isn't theory. This isn't just academic theology. This isn't just whatever. This is real life. This is how God can bring about good from suffering. And so, I mean, I don't know where you guys are at. I don't know what you're going through. But I really do think that God wants you to know that he is faithful. He is good. Despite what you feel. Despite what is happening. He's good. He's faithful. He doesn't abandon the broken and the weary. He hasn't made you an orphan. He will use the suffering to produce in you a hope that will sustain your faith. You will be sustained by Christ. He will hold you fast. It's one of my favorite hymns. And so in closing, I'm going to read a quote from John Piper, a great pastor. And this quote was, when he said this, I I broke down in tears. And it, it was, it just means a lot. And I want to leave you guys with this. He says, not only is your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, do not lose heart. 
but take these truths, all the ones you've heard in every message, and day by day, focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and you are cared for. I mean, that, that's it right there. So I'm going to pray, and uh, that be that. Lord, Lord, we just confess our limited understanding. God, we don't understand all the ways that you use even the most deplorable things in our life to glorify yourself and to make us more like Jesus. But we thank you for your word, Lord, that says that you do use it and you will for those who love you and hold fast to you. You use it to create in us your character and your image and we will get to the point where Jesus has renewed all things and so we praise you Jesus we give you all the glory and whatever it is that we are dealing with or we're going through in our own sufferings or maybe we're just confused with all the suffering of the world I pray Lord that this truth of you are faithful and you build in us a perseverance through all of these things for your glory and for our good. I pray that that would resonate with us in the hardest moments when we're the weakest. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus. We say this in your mighty name. Amen. I invite you to stand.